Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, good morning. If you're new to our church, my name is Dave. It's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here at Harvest. And I'm in the last message of a short series we've been doing called Recharged Through Blank. And it's just a follow-up. This was the, Recharged was the theme of our congregational retreat this past summer. And sometimes when we are moved in our hearts at a retreat or a conference and we hear something that really gets us stirred up, Over time, that conviction, those blessings leak out. So this year, we felt like Pastor Seth did a great job at the retreat. God met us in a powerful way. I want to just revisit each of those four topics so that whatever convictions and blessings we received don't just fall off the table. If you are not able to join us at the retreat, hopefully this will be a good opportunity to hear what everyone heard. And I'm not just repeating the sermons. I'm approaching those same four topics from a slightly different angle of approach. And this morning, we've come to the last of those messages, recharged through community. I don't know if you know this, but loneliness can literally kill you. At least that was the attention-grabbing headline of an article I read this week while I was preparing for this message. And as I read and I studied more, I clicked through links, I was discovering just how powerful an effect social isolation and loneliness has on human well-being. I, I mean, I knew it was emotionally difficult. I didn't realize how physically impactful it was, too. One, one study I read said that loneliness and social isolation has the same negative impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. <laughs> I, I, that, that really got my attention. There was a... Uh, a landmark book on the subject of social isolation or loneliness and its effect on health, physical health, written by a guy named Dean Ornish, who's a pretty reputable physician, a medical doctor, and here's what he said about loneliness. I'm not aware of any other factor in medicine, not diet, not smoking, not exercise, not stress, not genetics, not drugs, not surgery, that has a greater impact on our quality of life, incidence of illness, and premature death from all causes. That's Dean Ornish in his book, Love and Survival. What he's saying is social isolation and the experience of loneliness has a huge negative impact on our physical well-being. Obviously, you don't need a doctor to tell you that if you've experienced loneliness, how it affects All of you, your soul, your heart, even your body. We have to be clear that loneliness is not just about being alone. I mean, that's being alone is just a numerical situation. And some people, many people, in fact, actually treasure and enjoy their times of being alone. Introverts, this is your chance to give me a a very soft amen. Very introvert. Some of us love being alone, and that's not distressing. So I'm not talking about if you're an introvert and you treasure alone time, but loneliness is more than being alone. It is the state of feeling 
very weak connections with people when you actually need them. This feeling that though you may be surrounded by people, the ones you need the most, you don't feel you have a real connection, not the kind that you desperately need. Some of the loneliest people I know live in a house full of other people. Some of the loneliest people I have ever met are married. So the point is not that loneliness is being alone. It is being around people, but knowing that the connections you have with them are shallow and unsatisfying, and they don't give you life because they are very weak connections. For Christ followers, community isn't just an added bonus that makes life better. For Christ followers, community is absolutely essential. If you are a Christ follower and you have been for a lot of years, then you have a panorama of experience, some history in your faith journey to compare your present state to, right? And when you look back at your Christian journey, if you are a Christ follower, what you'll see is there are times when you felt really close to God and really alive spiritually, and times when you just felt flat and cold and numb. And chances are, it's very likely that the depth of your relationships and your connection in community also peaked when your spiritual vitality peaked. Meaning, it's really difficult to fully flourish, experience, and practice the Christian faith in isolation. And many of us had a simpler time in life when community was easier. I mean, some, those who had the, the joy of going to college while we were Christ followers, many of us, in, if we had a, a vibrant campus fellowship that we were a part of, those were golden years for a lot of us because we hung out with people who were all around the same age, had similar interests, similar life stage, and we had very little demands on our time. I mean, a heavy day was like three, three classes in a day. Ugh, it's the heavy day. I have three classes to go to. So you have tons of disposable time, and you all lived in a little village a walking distance away, and no one had appointments. It was really a wonderful time to enter community, and people are just starting out in life. We hadn't disappointed each other enough to have serious drama yet. Everyone was just like, let's go! And we had a sense of connection with one another that raised the bar and set a gold standard for what it would feel like. For many who are in a relationship, when you're first falling in love and you just can't wait to be with each other, that sets the bar for, this is what I always dreamed of, a real sense of connectedness to another human being, where I know you see me, you want me, you love me, you're drawn to me, you think about me when we're not together, and that's all I ever wanted was to have that and to give that to someone else. And over time, as life happens... That raw feeling of connectedness fades, doesn't it? And so even though we know as Christ followers that community is essential to the experience, the journey of following Jesus, the truth is for many of us right now, community is actually not a positive word or experience. It's a reminder that something I yearn for is not where I wish it was in my life. And we may be talking about your sense of community at home in your family or in your small group or at church or just among your circle of friends. But chances are that that's a word that needs refreshing and recharging. And I want us to look together at the passage 
that though he read just before her prayer, and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. And here's the, the way I want to approach it is, what kind of contribution do we need to make? What, what do we need to pour into a community to draw out of it the kind of connectedness that we all long to have with other people? Listen to what the Word of God says. This is Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 in the NIV translation. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> I know this is a heavy topic. We're going to dive in with a positive approach, but I'm going to ask you to do just one thing for me because I am also a human being. I need you all to just look right up at me and smile just one time. I know it's gray outside, but help me out a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Whew. So I want to explore what true community looks like through the lens of these three verses so that we can, be, we can receive a call on our lives to pour into community what we want to draw out of it. True community helps one another hold on to hope. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This verse clearly teaches us that hope isn't something that sticks to us like it was fastened on with screws. Hope is something we are all called to actively hang on to because hope is something that easily can slip away. You know, I watched a, uh, a video this past week. I norm- normally don't watch videos by, by um, these, this crowd of young people who are making millions of dollars making inane videos. But this one got my attention. It was by Mr. Beast. How many of you guys know Mr. Beast? He's got like 23 million subscribers. I don't find him particularly compelling, but this video was a free car dealership. I don't know how much these guys are making on YouTube. This fool spent over $100,000 buying every car at a small used car lot. Every single, the whole inventory, like 15 cars. He bought every single one, and his idea was he's going to basically give away all 15 cars for free in a single day. So he had his friends out there waving people in, and you could see these customers walk in like, yeah, I saw your sign, you're waving. And he wasn't advertising free cars, he was just trying to get people onto the lot. So these are people who are already looking for a car, and he goes, hey, this one is $39. Is that too much for you? And they're like, And you could see it in their faces, like nobody wants to be played. At that moment, when you find out that a car is $15, one of them goes, this one, we will give you $500 if you take it. And so in that moment, there are two strong feelings. One is no way, and the other is please let this be true. See, hope is a funny thing because we all want it, but we've been disappointed and burned enough times. Nobody wants to get their hopes up because the most common experience when we have our hopes up is that our hopes are crushed down, right? Oh, please, can we go see that movie, Mom? No! Oh, please, can I sleep over at her house? No! Dad, please, can you buy me the new car? No! So every time 
we get our hopes up. The majority experience of life is you get your hope up and someone crushes it down. And yet, hope is so essential to being human that we still instinctively can't help ourselves. Oh, please, oh, please, let this be. Let it work out. Let this thing that I need so badly, and it's not always as frivolous as a sleepover. Some of our hopes are a matter of life and death for us. Like we yearn for, we desperately need this hope to be realized, but at that same moment, past pain, disappointment, has trained us to be very cautious with this thing called hope. And so he begins with a hope that is secured by the faithfulness of God. He says, speaking of our eternal destiny, this idea that we will always be loved by, accepted by, welcomed home by God, even when this life is over, that hope that we have is always a well-placed hope. But sometimes the trials of this life make even that hope start to fade. And so the writer of Hebrews says to us, you have to actively Hold on to hope, because hope always wants to slip through our fingers. Especially when we catalog all the times in the past where our hopes were dashed. It's easy to see why many people are very careful not to get their hopes up about anything. Some of us have a hope that was dashed, that has changed our entire view of life and even of God. When we're going through hard times, even though we know that hope and community and all these positive things are so essential to our spiritual well-being, there are times in everyone's life where things are going so badly that what it feels like, and I just this picture I think says a lot, it feels like you're at the bottom of a deep well. And there are people around you saying things to you like, hang on. It's going to be okay. And you hear them, and you know they mean well, but it feels like you're at the bottom of a well, and there are people saying those words over the edge of the well down to you. Hang on down there. It's going to be okay. And in that moment, though you know intellectually that those words are true, they feel impossibly far away. Like, how is it going to be okay? And then after a little while, you start to grow a little bit resentful because you're like, can you stop telling me kind words and throw a stinking rope down? That would be really wonderful if you stopped telling me it was going to be okay and sent down a ladder. And so I know how hard it can be to hang on to hope when things are really going poorly. It's natural to want to withdraw from community when you're at the bottom of that well. It's natural to say, I can't be around people who are not going through my struggle because no one really understands what I'm experiencing. And that is true. I won't ever take that away from anyone. When you're going through a hard enough trial, you can try to explain it. You can even long to be understood, but no one else can fully understand what you're going through and what you're feeling. And in the midst of that struggle, at the bottom of that well, even your relationship with God can begin to get entirely defined by that present struggle. So that the outcome of that struggle will determine your relationship with God. It's a hard place to be. And when we're in a place like that, 
One of the great gifts of community is when we see God through the eyes of those who are not struggling through what we're struggling with. And it's not to say, oh, well, it's easy for you to say. I know that's the cynical view is it's easy for you to say God is good because your life is good. But what I'm saying is this can also be a gift to us. Because when we're struggling, and every one of us will struggle, our whole life is defined by that struggle, and our view of God, is the lens by which we see him, is entirely focused through that struggle. We lose objectivity because the struggle takes preeminence. It's the largest thing in our, our field of view. It's all we see. And sometimes there are other people who are not mired in the struggle that we are living through and they see God from a different place and it's a place we need to see him through. A place we need to be reminded of. I think one of the great gifts I've received in community when I've gone through things is to see people who genuinely still find their hope in Jesus Christ. Now when I'm not having a great day, I'm annoyed by those people. Like, but there are days when seeing them really gives me a lift that I need. I've always loved this photo. In fact, it's the desktop wallpaper on my, uh, my iPad. It's a photo that was snapped by, by someone uh, off the, the coast of the Greek island of Lesbos. And these are refugees coming off of a boat after a very harrowing journey. And I just love this moment that the photographer captured, that little boy in between. And I think this is the picture of the way community helps us hold on to hope. Sometimes we cannot reach the rock ourselves, and the greatest thing we can do is to hang on to those who are hanging on to the rock. I think that's a picture of how community can and should work. There are times when I cannot see God differently than I see him. From the bottom of my well, all I see is a pinprick of light and I say, God, is that really you? But every now and then I will encounter someone whose hope in Christ is still so pure, so real, so justified, and I need to be reminded that I once saw God that way too and that that is also the truth about who God is. That my experience cannot by itself indict or define God either. But for me, that's all I can manage right now. And I thank God for my brother or my sister who is able to see God differently than I'm able to see him because I desperately need to borrow your eyes right now. Now listen, I'm not talking about words of hope. Soothing words that are designed to lift someone's spirits. I'm talking about looking into someone's eyes and actually believing that they see God this way. Have you ever had a time when you're so beat up and God seems so far away and then you hang out with someone for whom God is just so real, you're like, I loved the hour I spent with you because looking into your face, I don't feel like you're trying to sell me or manipulate me, but the way you see God feels really real to me, and I desperately needed that. It's, it's my prayer that that's what happens in community for us on a regular basis. Because in any given day, someone in our church family will be going through a very, very hard time. Their life will be very much like that, at the bottom of a well. And what they need from us, those who are actually seeing God as the anchor and the source of our hope, 
we need to share that as a gift with people. We may be standing firmly on the rock, but there are others who are far from us and far from that rock, and what they need is to hang on to our hands because they cannot reach the rock yet. If you've ever had that experience, you know how powerful it is to need to see God differently and then to be in the presence of someone who really does see him as real. It's one of the roles that I find I'm called to play as a pastor on a regular basis. It's to step into really difficult, painful situations. And before I go in, when I was a young pastor, here's what my prayer was. Help me to say the right thing to them. Lord, give us a good outcome from this encounter. Help me to encourage them. Help me to, and instead now all I say is, God, help me to see you because my brother and sister can't right now. They're really struggling. They're having a really hard time seeing you. Help me to see you so that the gift I give them is the certainty of my faith in you. Because they cannot hear or see. But as I speak of you, let me show them how I see you in a way that is true because you actually are visible to me. I'm thankful for that evolution because as a young pastor, I realized how much I was oriented around getting a good grade for this encounter. I want to do a good job. I want to, now I just, all I say is I don't want to lose you in the midst of I want to see you. Help me to see you. And maybe, just maybe, my brother or sister who's struggling will also see you through my eyes. I'm going to give you a second characteristic of true community. Is true community doesn't just help us hold on to our hope in a God who is faithful, but it calls out of us our very best. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. That's a very, very rich verse. We could probably build a sermon series off of that single verse. I want to just point out two very important words we need to understand from this verse. And the first is this word, consider. Consider is a very weak word in English. It's like imagine or lightly think about. Like consider it like this or pretend. Consider is almost like uh, another word for pretend, right? Consider this your birthday gift. Thanks. I'll consider it. In the Greek, though, that word we translate consider is a, a much more powerful, strong word. It, it suggests really careful, thorough observation and deep thought. It's not just, eh, you consider it. It's consider it. Cons- true consideration when someone's considering you is uncomfortable. Imagine you walk into my office and I say, hey, I just want to spend a little time considering you. And I just sit there and look at you. And after 10 minutes of looking at you, I just begin to ask you some deep probing questions. And then I stand in silence and wait for you to speak. That's considering. And this verse would be better translated, not let us consider how we may spur, but let us consider one another how we may spur. That's really the better translation of the thrust of this verse. Let us consider one another. And the idea is this, before we can be used 
in someone else's life to move them and reorient them and direct them, we have to first take the time to truly consider them. To see past the surface and get over our assumptions and our initial judgments. This is one of the most challenging parts of spiritual leadership and life in community is that while we want to help someone, our judgment of them so often gets in the way and cripples us from being actually useful to them. Can we just admit that all of us have different things that trigger us and awaken in us that judgmental spirit of disdain? For some of us, it's a different thing, you know. And this afternoon at our leaders' meeting, we're going to explore some of those triggers. There are the things that get in the way of us actually helping other people change is because we don't really think, oh, you need to change unless you're doing something where you need to change. Do you get that? The only reason I'm even speaking into your life is because something is happening or not happening that is different than how it should be. And so now that I see that problem, I want to help you, but what I have to get over first is my initial instinct to judge you or disdain you or even condemn you because what I see in you is failure or weakness or passivity or some other thing which is triggering me at the same moment. And so consideration is one of those active disciplines we take on where we say, I'm going to get past my original initial prejudices and I'm going to really see past the surface to what's happening inside of you. My goal is not to categorize you and repair you, to give you a one-line of discourse. Oh, I know what's wrong with you. Just do this and you'll be fine and then God will be God again and you'll be just great. Have you ever had someone speak into your life without taking the time to actually understand and know where you are? You can answer. I know for a fact that the majority of you have had that experience because you've shared it with me. Oh, yeah, people speak into my life. These, it feels more like a drive-by shooting or maybe another way to, uh, another analogy is it feels like, you know how when you go into a, a Kohl's or a JCPenney, like a department store around Christmas time, there are those end caps where they have really generic gifts. Shaving kit for man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Necktie, socks, suspenders. And it's like, it's a gift that says, I hardly know you, but here's something. This is not a gift for you. It's a gift for someone I think is for people like you. What I know of you is you're male and you're alive, so here's something. And it doesn't touch your heart the way a gift ought to, partly because the thought and the consideration of you that went behind the gift was a very token gesture. It's a shallow gift. I'm I'm not saying the person didn't care about you. They cared enough to do something. I'm just saying the reason it doesn't actually touch you is because it doesn't reflect any real sense of knowing you at all. When people bought me neckties for years, I'm like, when's the last time you saw me wear a necktie at church? And yet people kept getting me ties. There was a phase, I don't know if Randy remembers this, where I tried to wear a tie Every week, to, do you remember that? And then you started joining me, and you know, like I thought, maybe I'll try wearing ties, but I, I can't stand ties. I, I just hate that feeling. So this idea of what, before we give someone something, even if it's well-meaning advice, even if it would help them if they just heard us, you can't be heard unless you hear first. And that's where the considering part of community really is so vital. 
Don't spew advice at people too quickly, even if your advice is right. Even if your advice would fix their problem, start by deeply considering. And what consideration looks like is watching, asking, and really listening to what comes back. Any of us who have ever had someone speak into our lives without that consideration know how cold it leaves us and sometimes how hurt it makes us feel. So I encourage us in community to take every opportunity where we're together, not just to be together, but to really understand the people God has put us in community with. Really listen to their hearts. Don't formulate your easy response to the pain or the distress or the tension that they're describing. Listen to them until you feel like you've entered their world as much as another outside person is able to. And then ask God, is there something you would like me to say to this person that would actually be a gift to them. Something that, when I say it, helps them feel seen and understood because it's not just about me getting it off my chest. It's about them receiving it into their hearts. Now, what's all this consideration for? It's in the service of this other word, spur. I brought a visual aid, and I forgot to bring it up with me, so if you'll indulge me for a second, I want to show you this. And now I've lost it. Here it is. I actually thought about fastening it to my shoe the whole time, but that would have been silly. This is a spur, a cowboy spur. It looks like a really mean device. And it has a very important, specific function for a person who's riding a horse. The goal of a spur is to direct the movement of a horse with a sensation that is not destructive or painful, but is impossible to ignore. It's like a smooth pebble stuck in your shoe it kind of hurts a little bit. I mean, you can take it, right? A little pebble in your shoe is not like, oh, I, I'm paralyzed. You can walk all day on it, but it's so irritating. And so after a moment, you will pause whatever you're doing. You'll take off your shoe and you'll take that pebble out because you cannot endure it any longer. It cannot be ignored. And that's at the heart of the way a spur is used. I know this looks mean, but the reason this spins is so that it doesn't jab into the horse. It's meant to just create, and I saw a video of a, horse, a horseman who was training a young lady on how to ride a horse, and he said, I want you to lean against me on this fist, and she did that, and she could lean her whole body weight on it. And then he did this. He goes, now I want you to lean your whole body weight on this thumb, and she couldn't do it even for a second. She's like, oh. She goes, do you see that discomfort? That's what the spur does. It doesn't damage, it doesn't cause pain, but it's a constant, steady stimulus that says you cannot keep going in that direction. I won't let you. You're going to move this way, and you're going to move this way, just to avoid the constant steady pressure that says this is not the way for you to go. What's interesting is that the Greek word that we translate as spur, you're going to recognize it. I don't like to throw out Greek words, but you'll even recognize this Greek word. It's paroxysmos. It's the word from which we get the English paroxysm, 
which is a medical term for spasm. Or a paroxysm is, in common language, it's a fit. Like a paroxysm of laughter, or a paroxysm of tears, or even a paroxysm of rage. It's when something overtakes you, and it cannot be ignored. It's just going to take over, and it's a sudden thing. Combining those two ideas, here's the point of spurring. It's saying to someone, I've heard you. I know where you are. I know everything that you've told me about where your heart is right now. And I cannot judge or blame you for wanting to go this way. I see how hurt you are, how confused you are, how angry you are. But I also see that the edge of the cliff is on that side. And as a friend, I cannot, in good conscience, let you keep going that way and still say that I'm your brother or your sister. When your good friend says to you, I'm going to leave my wife. So I just don't love her anymore. You say, I, I've heard the whole saga of your unfolding relationship, and I know why you feel that way. At times, I've agreed with you. I felt the emotions you felt. I'm like, man, this person is terrible. Run for the hills. And yet I know that you also made a covenant in front of God. And I don't know how all this is going to end. There can be life after divorce. But as your brother or your sister, I'm going to say to you, but don't speak of that yet. Don't go there. I'm going to be the one voice maybe in your whole life will stand by you and say, I love you, I hear you, I see your pain. But I don't want you to go in that direction. There are situations and times where there may be no avoiding it. But at some point, we have to be a courageous, steadfast brother or sister. One of the greatest compliments you could ever hear, okay, I'm going to qualify those in the right circumstances, is why don't you ever tell me what I just want to hear? I've had people say that to me. I knew you were going to say that. Why don't you ever just tell me what I want to hear? Why can't you ever just go, yeah, just bail, man. Quit, give up. Blow your gasket. Take off curse, break something. And my answer is simply this, because I love God and I love you. I think that's how we have to be in order to be a brother or sister. One of the things I tell the bridal party at weddings is, do you know why you're standing at this wedding? It's not just to show everybody you're the the closest friends to the couple, but because the burden is now on you to say the hard things that need to be said to this couple when they're tempted to fight and to run. Because when a marriage falls apart, and sometimes they do, the one question we all want to say is, who was speaking into their life? Who on the inside, who really knows them and loves them, was challenging them not to go this way, fighting with them and for them, not against them. I think that's what real community does, is it says, I know how badly you want to go over the cliff, but I love you too much to just watch you do it. And so in a way that doesn't damage you, in a way that doesn't intentionally hurt you, I will just be that steady spur in your side. And that's the proper way to use a spur on a horse. You're not supposed to go, yeah! 
It's not supposed to stab and break skin. It's, it's like this. There you go. Come on, buddy. I'm going to just keep nudging you, and you're going to be like, what is that? And the horse is just going to keep going like this. What is Seriously. And that's all it is. It's a steady, non-ignorable push that says, no, don't go there. I've had to do that at times, and it's never comfortable. I can testify to this. It's never comfortable to be the spurrer. It's even less comfortable to be the spurree. But spur we must. And that's why it's so important that we first take time to consider each other. To enter into the pain. Not to be so cavalier and go, what's your problem? Just do this. To say, I, I would, if in your shoes, I think I'd be sorely tempted to do exactly what you want to do. But I know there's nothing but death on the other side of that. I want you to fight, but I see that you can't. So I'm going to just stand here faithfully as a friend and just keep going, no. When you and your buddy are on a business trip, and he's married, and he keeps going, do you see her? She's checking me out, man. I'm going to just go over and say hi. And you're like, nope. Box out. Set a pick. Then roll and set another pick. Don't let him do what he wants to do because he will lose too much if no one speaks up. You don't have to be damaging. You don't have to be condemning. You just have to be steady and impossible to ignore. And I believe one of the greatest powers that we have in spurring is first to get on our knees and pray for the person that we need to spur. I think today in Christianity, we depend too much on our words. We step into the situation and we try to talk people through things before we ever talk to God about that person. And what is it that we're using this spur to move someone towards? It's not just, dude, treat yourself. You work so hard. Go ahead and get that thing you want. We're not spurring each other just toward whatever the other person wants. We're spurring them in a very specific direction towards agape love and the good deeds that arise out of it. That's what we're spurring each other towards. In Christian community, that is our constant focus, is I want to call you to always practice and live in and walk through agape love. Agape love is a Greek term that's this specific kind of love. It's exemplified by what Jesus did for us. It's a love that is selfless and sacrificial and deeply committed. It's not the kind of love you typically find in the world. It's a different kind of love altogether. And when we give it and we receive it, there's something powerful that happens. Let me give you a last thing here. True community just shows up for one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's kind of a cryptic statement there by the, read, the writer of Hebrews, this idea that some are in the habit of giving up meeting together. It's comforting to know that even in the days when the Bible was being written, people were bailing on the church. It's not a, a modern phenomenon. The impulse to walk away from community is incredibly powerful. 
I'm a pastor and a small group leader, and I can't say that I'm immune to it. There are days when, and I'm, I'm going to be really transparent here. Please don't be stumbled if you're in my CG. But there are days where I'm actually hoping no one can make it. Oh, God, I need this Friday night badly. Please just let everyone go, oh, I can't. And that's so wicked of me. It's so weak sauce of me. And yet I'm saying there's this weird thing where I love my CG, but I also want a reason to not have to commit to anyone other than myself. Where I just think of the freedom of pulling away as a promised land. It's that feeling of a snow day when you're a kid in school. Yes! No meeting. It got canceled. Have you ever felt that? Am I the only one? I'm such a bad Christian. Thanks, Bob. You and, you and I are the worst guys in this room. You, everyone else is like so stumbled right now. We must have all been there. And there's a way of saying, I can't make it with such an air of finality that you're hoping no one will ask you why not. Can't make it, sorry. Why not? Because <laughs> I don't want to make it. Thank you. <laughs> the temptation to bail, to withdraw from community is incredibly powerful. It's not always just laziness or a desire to be alone. Sometimes it's because that group is a reminder of disappointment, of unmet expectation, even of pain. In their book, The Lonely American, Jacqueline Olds and Richard Schwartz writes this, and I think this is very insightful. Our lives are spent in a tug of war between conflicting desires. We want to stay connected, and we want to be free. Can we say amen to that? I saw one New Yorker cartoon back in, I think, 2006, maybe even earlier than that, two women sitting in a restaurant saying, my intimacy, my intimacy needs or my privacy needs are getting in the way of my intimacy goals. Meaning there's always a desire to fully be known and also to guard ourselves. To have deep friendships, but not have to be obligated to them at all. In other words, we always want to have our cake and eat it too. We love all the benefits, little of the cost. And sometimes we get there because we tried pouring in all the cost and we got burned or disappointed. So we're like, I'm not doing that again, ever. But here's what I want to encourage us to think about. We cannot fully experience and practice our faith alone. And as tempting as it is to make our faith a personal, individual, private faith, to say, why do I need you guys to be a Christian? I could love and worship Jesus all by myself. In theory, yes, but not fully. This is not a relationship and a faith and a way of life ever designed for individuals to do alone. In fact, I would, I would argue that the vast majority of commands in the New Testament are impossible to obey if you're alone. How can you forgive when you're by yourself? How can you love when you're by yourself? How can you serve when you're by yourself? The majority of these commands require other people. They absolutely require it. And yet I know how easy it is to succumb to the temptation to withdraw from community. There are two key ingredients for community. I won't speak long about them, but the first is just contact. If you want to have community, you've got to actually be in the same place together. 
You can say, guys, you go meet without me. I'm there with you in spirit. If you're there with them in spirit every week for two years, you're not a part of the group. It doesn't matter how much you like them from far away, how closely you follow them on Facebook. You are not a part of that group anymore. Okay? Except in spirit, which is another saying, not really. And the other key ingredient for community is consistency. It's not just being together in the same place, but being together on a regular basis. Hey, wasn't that one time we were together like two years ago? Awesome. We're such, we're besties now because that really profound moment we had two years ago. No, you're not. You just had a really great experience that never got repeated. You're like Hanson with her song, Mbop. One hit wonder. It was great, but never followed it up with anything else. These two ingredients are required if we want to form community. There are other things, of course. I know the more nuanced, um, deeper people are saying, oh, there's so much more. I'm saying this is rudimentary. Without this, we can't even talk about disclosure about true love, about all those things, because these two things being missing short-circuits every other thing we can do together. And these are the first two casualties of war when we're going through a lot of stuff. This is such a strong tendency to say, I'd love to be there, but today I just don't have it in me. I'm going to say no. Sorry, guys. And I understand why we make that choice. I've made it before. But every time we make that decision... It costs us something in our connection to that group of people. It costs us something. What we'll find is every time they get together without me, they forget me a little bit, and I forget them a little bit. It's inescapable. The connections we have, the bonds between us, dissolve a little each time we make the choice not to be together. And what I find after a while is I don't even miss it anymore. There was a time when I felt the sting of it, like, oh, shoot, I wish I would have been there with them. But after enough repetitions of bailing, I look at the pictures of the get-together and I go, oh, well, it's not a thing in my life anymore. They can enjoy themselves just without me. I want to encourage us to begin here at this most basic level of community and say, fight for contact and consistency. Because if we achieve those two things regularly in community, the deeper work is possible. But without contact and without consistency, we can't really speak of the trust that's required to help someone hang on to their hope in God. We can't talk about the deep consideration of another person's life and pain that allows me to say just the right thing to help them. All those things require real contact and real consistency. I'm not saying that out of a rebuking spirit, but simply to say to you, your experience of any group will begin, and in the early stages will be entirely defined by these two ingredients. And if this is where things are falling apart for you, this is the place to begin the repair work. It's just to say, I've got to take stock of how often I am actually together with the people that I care about. I'm so thankful for Jeannie because she's very vigilant and very proactive about gauging when our family's too much on our own. And she'll always fight for, can you be home today for dinner? Let's have a family dinner. I think if she didn't do that, I would often get lost in my own world. And we might just be ships passing in the night. I'm really grateful 
that she's constantly thinking about these things, contact and consistency. I want to close with a couple next steps. And the first is, at Harvest, small groups are our basic unit of community. You being in this room is a really important step. It's really important. I'm so, I'm so glad you're here. I hope whenever you come on Sunday, there's at least one thing that is positive in your experience that says, I met God there and I enjoyed the time I spent with other people. So being here matters, but you cannot really form a meaningful level of community with 150 other people. It's always going to be community-ish at this level. But when we get into a smaller group, a real sense of knowing and being known at a level that I need and I want, that becomes possible. And at our church, small groups are the basic unit of community. I chose my words carefully because the main unit of small group in our church is a community group. And we have 11 of those right now at our church. And they are divided by life stage or by geography or by day of the week. The information is available on our website. But if you're not a part of a small group, I strongly encourage you to join one. Because that the fullness of the experience of being a, a Christ follower and a part of this church depends on that. If you don't want to be a part of the larger community groups that are full families or mixed gender, we have women's small groups that meet for Bible study and fellowship during the week. And if you are somebody who wants a a much deeper dive in a more intimate, consistent setting, in 2020, it's our hope to launch something called journey groups, which are groups of three that go in a very, very deep dive, processing feelings and thoughts and spiritual journey with one another. No holds barred, no secrets kept. If that sounds appealing to you, that sounds like the level of community and depth you've been yearning for, please express that to us so that we'll know there's an appetite for this. It's our hope to launch that in 2020. But if you're not a part of any small group at all, my exhortation to you this morning is do something about that. We've provided the means for you to walk in community, but you've got to still walk through that door yourself. And if you don't know how, if you're not sure where, talk to a leader or a pastor and say, I I feel the pull. Tell Tell me what my options are. What can I do? If you're already part of a small group, but in all honesty, it doesn't float your boat. It's not everything you hoped it would be. It's too easy to say, no, I'll pass. I'm going to call all of us who are in a small group. That's a lot of us. At our church, we have 80% of our congregation involved in a small group of some kind. That's, that's massive. But if you're in a small group and it doesn't give you life and it doesn't draw you in, I'm going to invite you to recommit to your small group. I'm saying that on purpose. It'd be tempting to just say, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the small group leaders to make the groups better. And we do tell them that. <laughs> We're working hard on, the, on the, the supply end. But what I'm asking of you in response to this message is to pause and take stock of what you're bringing to your group. I know that there is past disappointment and pain. I get that for sure. But you're losing more than you realize when you make it your habit to put other things first 
Because there will come a moment when life's burdens cannot be borne by yourself and you'll reach out to those who are ostensibly in your community and they will do their best, but on both sides of that equation, you'll feel it. The incompleteness, the shallowness of it. Like, I remember when we were closer, but now that you need me most, I'm trying really hard to act like we're still together. But I'm really more drawn by the intensity of your need than by the intensity of our relationship. I hope that if I'm going through what you're going through, others would rally around me. But I wish I were rallying to you as your brother, not just because it's the right thing to do. Would you take stock of what you're bringing to your group? And maybe what you need to bring is forgiveness and a willingness to go, yeah, you guys have three strikes, but I'm going to give you another inning. Thank God for baseball, right? Three strikes, you're out. Not of the game, just of that at-bat, that inning. There's eight more coming. How often are we to forgive? Seven times? We forgive countless times. Maybe that's what you need to bring to your group, is a willingness to say, you have let me down more than you could ever imagine. But I'm going to try again with my whole heart. I'm going to take another risk. I'm going to open my heart to you again. I'm going to let you in. Maybe it's been years. Maybe you've laughed with those people. You've eaten with those people. You've given gifts to those people. But maybe it's been years since you just fell on your knees and cried out in prayer for those people and say, God, help my friend. Touch their life. I love them. Love them in your power. Maybe it's simple as this. Just get back in the group. Say yes again. Put that mark on your calendar and guard it and say, I will not schedule other things, no matter how legitimate. That's my family, and they're going to get my priority. When they gather, I will be there with them. And maybe it won't be deeply satisfying. Maybe it won't change my life the next time I go. But give it a little while. You know what I'm saying? Give it a minute. I remember when Randy put my four-tooth bridge on the top of my mouth. And I felt like I had an unwelcome guest sitting in my mouth for like a week. Like, what is this? But after a week, it completely made itself at home in my mouth. And I keep forgetting that these aren't my teeth. He did such a great job. I hope they bury me with this bridge. And I just rejoice to have teeth again. It took a while for me to get used to it. Once it did, it became everything. I, I can't tell you, Randy, how many times I've just paused in the day and thanked God for you because I have my teeth back. Whenever I'm chewing a Skittle, like made possible courtesy of Dr. Moy, DDS. It might take a while for you to work your way back into that group and feel like it's home, but give it more than one rep. Stay at it. It's worth fighting for. Take stock, not just of how your group has affected you, but what you're bringing in each time. And recommit your heart. It's been my prayer all week that as a result of this message, there will be no one in this church 
who walks alone anymore. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.